Let's visit the planet of Mars There's so much to learn on the planet of Mars The red planet in a billion stars Come and sing along about the planet of Mars On the fourth planet from our burning sun And the second smallest planet in our solar system I have the tallest mountain named Olympus Mons It's the biggest volcano in our whole system The traffic just sounds like background one, two, one, two, one, two. Rock those levels. One, two, one, two. I'm a disappointment to my parents. One, two, one, two. Does anyone have a sofa I can sleep on? Okay, and we're back. And I'm joined by Pete. He's not stepped on a butterfly and disappeared through time. So, Pete, how are you? Pretty good. How's it going? I'm very well. It's a glorious sunny day, and we're sat here in a park in Victoria talking about Doctor Who. Not bad at all. What can be better? Sweet. So you just telling me you booked your tickets to Gallifrey? Yeah. So you excited? Yeah, well, it's absolutely. It's going to be interesting because I tend to sort of surf Gallifrey anymore because I've been to 14 of them, I think. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I'm just going to go and see people I never see. And probably some of them will probably be famous. What do you think about this Chinese deal to uh, broadcast Doctor Who up until Series 15? Well, it just reinforces what I think Moffat always says, which is, you know, regardless of the, you know, sort of swings and roundabouts of tabloid headlines, it's doing pretty well as a show in general. It is, it is. You know, and they put in the effort with that world tour. Yeah. And I think it's paying off. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you think about Series 10 as a whole so far? I'm super happy with it. Um, I mean, you know, we've seen interesting things happen with storylines. You know, first it was too much in the way of a story arc, and then it's too much in the way of individual stories, and there's kind of a middle ground going, I guess, now with sort of Missy Vault thing. It feels a bit more like Classic Who. Yeah. Which, Especially this episode we're about to talk about. Absolutely. Felt very Classic Who. Absolutely. Oxygen felt like Classic Who. Yeah, I'm really enjoying the series, apart from the last one in the Monk trilogy. I've enjoyed every episode. They let the side down there a bit. I mean, it was a really interesting experiment because it was a trilogy that didn't feel of a piece. Yeah. You know, it. I mean, you could see how it was very much one storyline, but they did a really good job of presenting three mm. very different episodes. The guys on the Who's Heat podcast said that it probably would have been better if those stories had been spaced out throughout the series. That's a point. And I think, yeah, they're absolutely right. Like, imagine if this one had come before the final one. It might have made a bit more sense. Yeah, but they were all very tied together. I'm not sure how that would be done. I guess it just takes a little bit of a rewrite. But, yeah. So, Empress of Mars, written by Mark Degatis. Yeah. Mark Degatis. And directed by Wayne Yip, who did the last three episodes of Class. And he also did Light the End of the Land, which was the last of the Monk's trilogy. He's a rising star. He knows how to frame a beautiful shot. I really love what you did. So, let's go back to the history of Mark Gates with Doctor Who. What have you thought of these stories overall? Um, Actually, pretty good. It it was much more of a sort of pot boiler than I'm used to getting from Mark Gates. I mean, I I suppose Cold War wasn't that dissimilar in terms of being an action piece. No, very true. There was a little more of the darkness, you know, the sort of Gates League of Gentlemen darkness in Cold War. Um, whereas this one really was, was operating at a slightly higher level. Um, he took a bit of grief on the level of casting, but I think most of that grief comes from sort of the transmission of media 
let's talk about this. He did fight the casting of a, a black actor in the role until it was uh, pointed out to him that there was actually a black soldier in Queen Victoria's army. But you use the word fight. Well, he sent off a couple of emails saying, look, we can't cast this guy. You know, and as far as I could tell, he was being conscientious. Yeah, he, he, I'm not saying he was racist or anything of that magnitude. But yeah, there was, there was a black soldier, a guy named Billy Durham, who actually ended up serving in Queen Victoria's army. Yeah, and I've seen photos roll by so with, with a more guy, than that. To be honest, as soon as that Vinci, the black guy, and this started talking about his girlfriend, I knew he was a Connor. Did you? Yeah. I was like, oh, and it's like, yeah, we're going to get a farm, and it's next door, the most green land. Yeah, I was like, yeah, you're gone. Yeah, but see, that's much more of an RTD move than a Gatiss move. True. You know, I mean, if, if someone's for it in a Gatiss story, you tend to smell it in different ways. What do you make of the Ice Warriors overall? I'm really pleased with them. I mean, I heard a lot of negative stuff early on about the change in voice for the Ice Warrior Queen, right? But to be honest, who's to say that it just isn't a social thing? Yeah. You know, like, for example, class. there's an interesting social distinction in sort of tone of voice in, in Japan. You know, like, yeah. Japanese women and Japanese men do tend to sound very different in how they present themselves in the mainstream. You know, when you get in and you start to look at the details, it's not all that different. So, and the way she delivered it was fantastic. I thought it was very useful. Yeah, great performance. Yeah. I liked, what was the name of the, uh, Godska? I can't remember the name. He was like the colonel of the piece. I really liked him. I liked, he finally got the redemption that he was seeking when he offered his life to the ice. Yeah, I saw yeah, a short clip with the baddie of the piece, and he was having a good time anyway. Yeah, yeah, he looked like he was having a great time with this. I, I always make it a point. You know, it's, it's, it's like, it's nice to, it's nice. You want to be aware of, of actors if you can. I mean, some people don't want to destroy the illusion. They don't want to know about the actors. But sometimes you can get more enjoyment out of that. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's like you spend up hating an actor for, you know, X number of <laughs> episodes in the classic series. Or like Olaf Puli, the villain of Inferno. Yeah. Oh, my God. You just love to hate him, you know? And, and the guy, such a sweet man. Everything you read about him. And he lived to be like a hundred and something. Oh, wow. Yeah, he, he, t he took up painting. <laughs> As you do. Yeah. You no, know, I like these guys. They were all great. They felt like a proper a unit, a proper team, a cohesive team. Uh, even when Jack Dorr was trying to rob the ice princess yeah. or the ice cream, he was uh, he was going to give Vinci his proper share. Yeah. And Jack Dorr, I've interviewed him before. He's in Game of Thrones. He plays like a really vicious character in Game of Thrones. Uh-huh. Like a hundred miles away from what... Jack Dole was. Oh, but yeah, I like that he was singing a proper Victoria nursery rhyme. That's awesome. Uh, it's just, yeah, great. And do you think Bill's hair in this? Because they sort of braided it like a, like a plait. Do you think that was to mirror the Ice Queen? It didn't hurt. Because she kind of had the, the dreadlocks and I thought maybe that was a, a conscious effort. Well, if it was a conscious effort, I, I doubt it was probably a conscious effort at the script stage. Yeah. You know, I think, uh, that's what I like about this type of series is you know, you, you can trust the crew. They've got the control. True. You know, it's like, um, I think I think designer Ed Thomas threw a fit at one point when, I think it was in The Runaway Bride, the TARDIS's fire extinguisher was silver when the entire interior of the TARDIS was kind of gold. But, so they do have the control, but the, the amount that that crew is trusted is very nice because you do get things like that. You know, that's very probably something that came along in the design stage or maybe yeah. even at the makeup stage. So it was very nice. So what do you think of the, the steampunk V 
Victorian spacesuit. Well, that was the sort of quirk of the whole piece, wasn't yeah, it? I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. I absolutely. can't wait to see somebody cosplay as that. And it's also, you know, such a fresh idea. Yeah. You know, just saying, okay, well, of course, Victorian soldiers couldn't make their own way to Mars, but what if they were helped? It's such a fresh idea. Well, my sister told me immediately after this episode broadcast uh-huh. that my nephew asked if there were really Victorians on Mars. <laughs> well, the thing is, I went to the writer's room seminar that uh, Stephen Moffat and his script editor gave. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he was talking about how quite often a writer will come in and, and pitch an idea and, you know, that'll very much be the make-or-break moment, you know? It's like, because, you know, Gatiss loves Ice Warriors and he wanted to do another Ice Warrior story and at, I remember at the time Moffat saying, and then he pitched a, he pitched something to us and I thought, yes, we have to do that. <laughs> and it's nice to finally figure out what that was. Yeah, because originally Gates had intended to do a Sleep No More sequel. I guess he just decided that this might be his last time writing for Doctor Who. Interesting. So he just wanted to go out with an Ice Warrior story. Yeah, I mean, I think RTD's been... Um, looking to find his feet post who if you know what I mean yeah well Cucumber was very good I was about to say he finally got something drama, yeah. yeah but I think that's why he's kind of resisted coming back to who before now probably yeah probably and also every showrunner has to make their own stamp on it I'm a little bit concerned about um just like I, I, I kind of I haven't seen Broadchurch so I'm a little bit have you seen Broadchurch? Yeah, I've seen it all. You know, Second series, you can skip it. Um, series one and three are the strongest ones. Well, let's put it this way. I, you know, I've seen Chibnall's stuff for Torchwood, which mm. I don't really have a problem with. Although I, he's been kind of a bit in noir for yeah, some yeah. Torchwood fans. The thing I will say about Chibnall is that he runs a tight ship. Like, absolutely nothing from Broadchurch leaked. Whereas under RTD, under Moffat, how many leaks have we had where scripts have been revealed or rough cuts of episodes have come out? But I I don't think that's down to the showrunner. I I wouldn't say it's down to the showrunner, but I'm saying Chibnall would probably go the extra length. Yeah, but as far as I I can tell, um, the showrunners we've had so far in Doctor Who have been, you know, kind of self-exiled to their desks. For series two of Broadchurch, Chris Chibnall made a returning character stay in a hotel 20 miles away from location he had to get three cabs in and change the skies in each cab and he had to film his scene six weeks after every other character had done theirs wow because they just wanted that deniability of being like no he's not back in this i hear what you're saying so i just think that that's the kind of level of accuracy we need with doctor who that's cool forward. but going back to the empress of mars I really liked it. I thought it was a really solid, fun script. Yeah. It's probably never going to be anybody's favorite episode, but it will never be anybody's least favorite episode. Yeah. Um, oh, who was it? Mr. Chin. He was saying it might be his favorite. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What I've really enjoyed about Series 10 is they've gone back to basics. Yeah. And Monk Trilogy aside, I'd say it's worked in their favor. Yeah. I mean, the program has sort of got past the, the, the period where they need to distinguish themselves to differentiate themselves yeah. from the classic series you know so they can kind of be what they feel is the right thing to be at this stage and you know because RTD had something to prove Moffat had something to prove mind you we may get a step back well Shindle proves whatever he feels he needs to at this stage Moffat is really just like okay you know what would be what would be sort of 
just plain fun. <laughs> All right, let's not bury the lead. What did you make of the cameo from Alpha Centauri? Well, um, I think it. I think it got probably the attention it deserved because I think you and I are probably following people on social networks in such a way that we probably saw tons of feedback about it. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not sure it's that big a deal. You know, I'm sure there's tons of people that aren't us. Well, I've seen a lot of people tweeting that they're not sure how it would impact on a casual viewer. But I watched it with my kids and, you know, this was their first exposure to Alpha Centauri. Uh-huh. This was their first exposure to an Ice Warrior. Yep. And, you know, they just saw it as another alien that was coming to help. Yeah, that's, so that's what I think. it went completely over their heads. It didn't detract them from the story at all. Yeah, um, I, you know, because I'm a complete nerd, I mm. went and found a photo of... I saw you tweet, yeah. Yeah, if you go to the Badwell Facebook group, you can see my sort of colorized version of Alpha yeah, Centauri. Yeah, good. But the thing is, not having it colorized and having that kind of monochrome blue screen, mm. um, you know, which, which probably would have been more primitive you know, it's like, why, why, why is this futuristic technology not in color, you know? <laughs> um, but my point being is, by, by sort of doing that, it meant that for somebody that honestly didn't care or was just a newbie, yeah. um, it wasn't, you know, oh, wow, all, the color for all aliens is green, you know? It's like, we're sort of well, breaking the, that. The thing about this is I've never actually seen any of the Peladon stories. Have you not? So I wasn't, I've never seen Alphas and Jory on screen, but obviously I listened to other Doctor Who podcasts that have covered the Peladon stories. So I knew all about Alpha Centauri. I knew what... Is it, um, I guess, uh, it, I guess? Well, it's it's just worth it for hearing John Pertwee say hermaphrodite hello. <laughs> yeah, I I knew all about Alpha Centauri before the episode aired. So when it when she popped up, I said, I am Alpha Centauri. I was like, yes! And uh, everyone's just looking at me like, why, why are you so excited? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought it was pretty good, right? But at the same time, I thought, you know, oh, I hope they don't make too big a deal of this yeah, because this well. isn't what the story's about. You know, it's like we're, we're there to have the big feels about the Victorian soldier who's redeemed <laughs> and the Ice Queen actually showing some sense and that sort of thing, really, you know? Yeah. You don't want to chuck... That's the thing, is, is you don't... There, there, are a whole bunch, there are a whole bunch of sort of emotional notes from the classic series... And by just presenting the image of a character, you bring those emotional notes back to some people. Oh, absolutely. But you, but it's it's currency you can't really spend on the high street. No, you know? you've got to you've got to be careful with the way you introduce the character it's, again. Exactly, exactly. Because it can just feel like fan service. Yeah, because you know, twelve people will be like you know completely spent. Yeah. But everybody else is sort of shrugging, scratching yeah, well, their exactly. head. Exactly. What did you make of the ray gun effect when? The Ice Princess. Oh, I keep calling her Ice Princess. The Empress shot. I will allow them that. You know, I loved it. It was one of those. It was one of those things that I actually went back and watched um, the Ice. I had, a, I had a massive flat tidy, and um, I did. I went back and I watched the Ice Warriors. Yeah. With the telesnaps, thank you very much, because um, I'm just not that much of a fan of the animation which is funny because I'm such an anime head and the Seeds of Death as well okay and Curse of Peladon I haven't, I haven't got around to Monster Peladon yet because that's next on my list okay. to see for the you know 20th time it is really interesting to see the sort of sonic guns that they have and I suppose in a sense that you know because the purpose of sound is to vibrate matter yeah 
it does make a certain amount of sense that you could use sound to physically manipulate matter and I really mean, what a horrific way to die with just all your body <sighs> folding in on itself because it, their hands were still visible when they I know it, it's it's that sort of macabre yeah. cartoonishness of it. Uh, it yeah it's rubber band reality you know what it reminds me of strangely enough what's up it reminds me of Mark Gatiss's character in that tenant episode Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The horror comes from the fact that the recognizable human body is so distorted. I hope Margaitis does get to come back, especially if there's an Ice Warrior episode. Well, that's something that's going to be interesting, is in the same way that we get introduced to um, a new doctor and, you know, new companions and occasionally even the sort of extended... Hold on. Perils of recording in the park. So... You know, just as we get introduced to new Doctor companions, maybe the companions' extended family, um, you know, as, as somebody who's, who's totally pro-Moffat, I really think he let the side down on Clara's family. We also get introduced to the sort of professional family of the showrunner, you know? Yeah, true, true. Do you think we're going to get to see Bill's mom more? I'm surprised we've not had that sort of episode. Oh. Or would that be too similar to, say, Father's Day? That was my chief problem with episode three of the Monk story, okay. is that we needed to be seeing Bill's mum probably throughout the series. Yeah. And and we just got this high speed, oh, here's here's some camera time for Bill's mum. Oh. And then we're supposed to get all the feels when she turns out to be the key to the story. Because interestingly, they've changed the mum. Go on then. Because I found originally on Instagram, uh, before the episode aired, this woman that I started following who's really attractive and posted a lot of nudes on her Instagram account tweeted that she was the mum in Doctor Who. And then when the episode broadcast, she edited her Instagram post that just said, oh, I, I'm in Doctor Who this series. And a different mum was credited. So I'm wondering if maybe somebody at the BBC saw her Instagram account and recast it at the 11th hour. Don't want to be a part of a scandal. <laughs> So it's, it's possible. Interesting, interesting. Or maybe she just got the wrong end of the stick and maybe they took a whole bunch of pictures of different people to be a mum. Well, the way that character has been presented visually... Yeah. Um, I'm not going to slag off the emergency services today. Okay. Yeah, so the way that mum's been presented recently. Yeah, I mean... The, the, way, the way Bill's mom was presented recently was so artificial yeah. that it doesn't look like it would be very difficult to replace. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, it was really nice. But the thing is, talking about extended family, I mean, I hope we get to see more because if, if, if it's correct and we're not going to get to see much of Bill after... Oh, I'm going to be so sad. Yeah, yeah, because she's lovely. I love it. She's really turned the series around for me. Yeah, I yeah. mean, don't get me wrong, I have no problem with Jenna Louise Coleman. And when we we're in the same park where we recorded our reveal that Jenna Louise Coleman had been cast. Yeah, yeah. But I think... Um, um, but yeah, I think she overstayed her welcome by about a series. Something that it, something that it seems has been a bit, bit of an issue for Moffat is the kind of extended family thing. Mm. You know, like the unit family or the amazing sort of... Tyler family, which yeah. is not just Tyler's, you know, it, it's, it's, I think we've been kind of spoiled in that regard, and that hasn't been one of Moffat's strengths, as much as I adore pretty much everything I've seen. 
Um, you know, it's a, I, I just really think let's slide down on that bit. And so I'm kind of adjusting my expectations for what we're going to get out of the sort of Bill, Bill's yeah. mom type of a thing. And talking about that, I've just been listening to The Lives of Captain Jack by Big Finish. Oh, really? And there's a story with Rose's mum, with Jackie, where Jack oh, yeah, and Jackie I, team yeah, up. Yeah, I saw Camille on the cover. And it is so much fun, and it is so good to hear Jackie back. Yeah. Uh, it's just a joy to hear her back, and I'm so happy that these people get to live on in Big Finish. Yeah. I mean, even if Bill is done in the series and we don't get to see her in Series 11, personally, I could see Chibnall wanting to go a completely new route. But at least these characters have life in Big Finish. Yeah, it's really lovely. Um, I'd recently heard The Unit Assembled, and um, the first one was sort of not ideal. It's, it's set up. But, um, but it was really nice to see the way that they were able to bring people back into the same time. We, the whole time I was listening to that, I was like, this is a TV series. Yeah, yeah. They, this, if, BBC, if the rumors are true that BBC Worldwide are actively pursuing a spin-off, yeah. They should go with unit assembled. Get some of the old unit guys back, interweave them with Osgood and that and would Kate, be so cool. Just go with that because there were moments I couldn't stop listening to unit assembled. Yeah, I mean, I just couldn't stop. If anybody's listening, just send the suits to <laughs> Katie Manning's Twitter feed. Oh, it'd be you so know, good. It's like don't send over a Polaroid. Send them to her Twitter feed because there's just such life in that woman. <laughs> Amazing stuff. Have you ever met Katie Manning? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I had this massive chat with her. As a matter of fact, um, I... I uh, uh, hang on. But... At Gallifrey, there was some huge thing in the ballroom. I can't remember what it was. But it happened just as the time I wanted to get a photo signed by Katie. Oh, wow. And so, like, the room completely emptied. And it was just, like, me sat there with Katie Manning and, um, and Deborah Watling and um, Annika Wills. Oh. And they were just sat there. And I'm like, and I had to get, I had to buy, I had to buy three photos. Yeah. But it was, like, such amazing chat because I just got to, like, chat about all and sundry. And, and I talked about those sort of bell-bottoms photos that she got taken with Stuart Bevan and... Um, and anyway, yeah, she was super lovely. And then, um, and then I got invited to that Phantom Films event. Thank you very much. Oh yeah, yeah. I met her at a Phantom Films event. Yeah, well, and it was in Sheffield, and she was up on stage getting interviewed by Paul, one of the guys that runs it. Yeah. And I leant against the wall, not realizing, <laughs> realizing there was a light switch there, and I completely turned the lights out. <laughs> on Katie Manning and she was like it's okay I'll work just as well in the dark That's so I flipped the light switch back on then 10 minutes later I leant back on the wall and <laughs> did it again so in the end I just left and she came and found me afterwards and she was like oh that was hilarious did you do it on purpose I was like no you Burke <laughs> and she's like no that's fine I'm clumsy myself and do you see a tweet recently go on where she said she uh, <laughs> oh yes she just spent 10 minutes apologising to a woman and she, then she realised it was her reflection yeah that's just ridiculous but she's, yeah, she's just ridiculously lovely. She's so nice. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, so full of life. And I would love to see Joe Grant or Joe Jones come back. Totally, totally. Well, I mean, she's done it once. The very fact that we're not talking that much about the Empress of Mars well, leads me to believe that we enjoyed it, but there's not really much we can talk about. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about the 45-minute format. Yeah. You know, I mean... If I'll, anything, I would have liked this to be a two-parter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But... It's difficult because 
there's only uh, you can't go too deep unless you're going to go two parts. And then if you go two parts, the en- there's an energy drop between episodes. Yeah, good point. You know, good I mean, point. that's that's one of the few advantages the old four episode format had. Yeah, yeah. Which was um, you could get a bit of you could you could put together a bit of story, and then you could sort of put together a bit of story over four episodes. Whereas you've only got that opportunity twice or three times if you want to do the monk thing. And I thought that was such a missed opportunity because with the monk thing, it was very much three stories. You know, I, yeah. I really could have enjoyed more with the sort of bacteria scientist story. Yeah, what happened to Erica? She was just yeah. abandoned. She would I have been know. a great companion. Yeah, she could have been there at the climax of the three-parter. But then Doctor Who is full of could have been companions like Rita from the God Complex. Although, you Sally know, Sparrow. let's just say, you know, at least, at least he's scattering good characters around. But yeah. then, it, recently, it was 10 years since Blink. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's amazing. I know RTD and Moffat got together and they did a little article about, about the episode celebrating the anniversary. And it's tricky stuff, too, because I was listening to, talking about the Ice Warriors, I was listening to Red Dawn recently, again, mm. which is really lovely. It's, it's by Justin Richards. He's now, you know, big producer man at Big Finish. Yes, he is, yeah. And, but it, it was the eighth ever big finish audio with wow. Doctor Who if you don't count the bennies which are also brilliant um, but it was the 8th Doctor Who they'd done right pretty early but it's interesting how a lot of these people you can tell they kind of had these stories sort of built up yeah yeah because you know, I think what happens is prior to becoming a showrunner or somebody that's writing for the show you know people have ideas I think we, we all have ideas about well, what we do I guess it's like when, when a band releases their first album that's the album they've been working on for their whole life exactly and then it comes to the second album and it's like well I spent 10 years on this last one what do I do now it's like when Eminem had got invented all these demons and he was now a millionaire there's very little he could rap about <laughs> Yeah, you get the idea. And the declining exactly. quality started to happen then, yeah. And so, you know, you get you get this sort of RTD thing where, um, you know, by his kind of last year, I think it was a bit difficult because I think he did quite well. He found new directions to take the show. Yeah. And I think we should be really grateful for the amazing amount of new directions. Oh, absolutely. But that said, you know, there was there's kind of a limit. <laughs> and and I, the funny thing is... I think if RTD had had another year, he would have had what Moffat's having now. Probably. Because Moffat had the same problem. I think Moffat went a bit dry. Well, Moffat's been at the helm for, what, seven years now? Yeah, but, you know, we essentially, he brings in Clara, and there were just a number of missteps. Yeah. You know? I think the biggest misstep was giving Amy and, Cora, uh, Amy and Rory uh-huh. uh, 7A. Go on. I think that should have been Clara's story from the beginning of Series 7. Oh, Explain. By the time Clara came into it, yep. she was a riddle wrapped in an enigma, wrapped in a mystery. Right. And then she had Day of the Doctor, Time of the Doctor. We didn't really get to know Clara as a, as a proper, fully rounded character until Series 8, when it should have been about the new Doctor. Yeah, well, the, the, the problem is, Clara was kind of sacrificed to an interesting experiment, yeah. which is that traditionally Moffat's party piece has been the Doctor's ability to pop in and out of a yeah, regular yeah. person's life. And the idea of Clara was to just turn the tables and oh, say... Oh, I, I love that idea. That's why I'm saying it should have been given a whole series to, to pan out. Yeah, but the thing is, I think I think he gave Clara the time she needed to pop in and out of the doctor's life. I don't think it was a su- successful experiment, however. No. Because one of the advantages of the doctor's ability to pop in and out of somebody's life 
is that he has this massive sort of existence and backstory that even relatively new fans know because it's Doctor Who they've been yeah. following. Well, I knew, I knew about Doctor Who before I'd ever seen Doctor Who. Whereas a companion, no matter how much time you devote, you, you can't kind of build them up as, as an individual with wants and hopes and fears and yeah. things. At the same time, you're peekabooing them back and forth throughout, you know, the, the, the time. It's like the, a, a companion's a reaction to timey-wimey yeah. is a lot different than the doctor's reaction to it. Well, indeed. You know, and I just don't think it was a successful experiment. But I can understand how he saw it as an experiment. Yeah, to I just, I really just believe that they're given a whole series and done that whole timey-wimey thing I'm in not the first part of Series 7. Then we could have got to know Clara proper in the second half of Series 7. Yeah, see, to me, see, to me, been a fully rounded character. Yeah, to, to me, to the time necessary to, 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 to learn that character was time sacrificed. Yeah. In making it, making that character timey-wimey to I start with. So. You know, it's like, for, to me, a character that pops in and out of the series like that isn't a companion. No. A character like that is the Dream Lord. Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. You know, it's because we've barely seen the Dream Lord, and I would love to see more. I'd love to see um, it. Hopefully, big finish, fingers crossed. Well, big finish have said they've got uh, a massive announcement coming on Friday. Um, um, Dark Eyes, hello. Oh, do you oh. remember? I might be spoiling. I don't remember. Yeah. I know I've heard it. Um, how, what's the actor? Toby... Forgotten his surname. Toby Jones. Toby Jones. Yeah, yeah he's in Dark Eyes. Of course he is. And I think he's the same character. He must be. It's all connected now. They, but yeah, yeah. Big Finish have said they're going to make a huge announcement on Friday. Yeah, so yeah. So fingers crossed it's Matt Smith. It smells likely. Yeah, because I mean, now they've got David Tennant, they've got Catherine Tate, Billy Piper. The next logical step is for them to sign up Matt Smith. Well, it's what I call the catering effect. Yeah. It's, you know, basically, like Gallifrey, Big Finish as a workplace sort of operates very strongly by word of mouth. Yeah. And they've created such a great working environment over there that I think it's that eventually, we're, I mean, you know, it probably started with Tenant and then it spread out and people heard good things about working with Big Finish. The attractive draw is you can do a whole series of Big Finish over the weekend. Yeah. Well, so I don't know how much they pay, but you can pick up that little bit of extra cash. And it, if you've got to have a beard for one role, it doesn't matter. Exactly. So that's why Tennant did it during Broadchurch, because he'd do Broadchurch Monday to Friday, yeah. go in the booth on Saturday, there do his go. big finish, and then that's it. And I'm so happy that he and Billy Piper are getting back together. Yeah, I mean, that news crashed their website. Well, that's the, the sort of peak of Squee, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And they trended on Twitter. Yeah, I'm not surprised. So anyway, I'd say we've rambled on enough for this episode. Yeah. Apologize for my allergies ruining my ability to speak. <laughs> Apologies for all the, you know, loud live. We are on location in a London park. Yeah. By Victoria Station. So yeah, if you've enjoyed this episode, please go back, check out our back catalogue, rate, subscribe. We also have a YouTube channel. Link is in the description.